I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 1, Episode 3 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1, For the Birds. On December 17th, 2018, I found myself in that no-man's-land time frame between meetings. I was too far away from my apartment to go back and too close between meetings to be able to really get much done. So I holed up in a Soho cafe, ordered a drip coffee, and opened up my laptop amid the sounds of Christmas music and clanging dishes. There was something I'd been meaning to do. I opened up my browser to iTunes and pulled the 100 current highest grossing apps in the app store. I scrolled, did some mental math, and scrolled again to validate. 71. 71 of the current 100 highest grossing apps in the app store are in the games category. This number surprised me. Not because 7 out of 10 high grossing apps are games against a backdrop of all the other amazing things you can do with your smartphone, but because I have done this every once in a while over the span of years and have seen the number upwards of 85. If you're an app developer and you want to make money, the surest path is to make games. In a space that has seen more than 170 billion downloads and $130 billion spent since 2010, according to market analyst App Annie, games are so dominant that Apple gave games their own section separate from apps in fall of 2017. Electronic Arts, Gameloft, King, Glue, Supercell, and Zynga may not be household names, but they've dominated the download and consumer spend directed at smart devices since the App Store launched on July 10, 2008. Another name in this family is the Finnish game developer company Rovio. In 2009, leadership at Rovio asked their design staff to come up with game concepts that they might be able to submit to the shiny new App Store on the popular new iPhone. Developer Jaco Isalo was one of the developers who got that call. In a short amount of time, but with no real concept for how the game would be played, Isalo was able to come up with the character design he thought the committee might like. It was a bird with no wings and no legs, and he was right. The committee approved it. But now Rovio had to determine what to do with a wingless bird. Well, one thing is you could always fire it into the air with a slingshot. And to what end are slingshots commonly put to use? I guess David and Dennis the Menace and Bart Simpson used slingshots to hit something, right? How about we fire these birds at different structures and try to knock them down? That all adds up, and we can make that design, but are these birds complicit in this? They will be if they're angry. Let's make them angry birds. And listener, do you know why these birds were angry? I never knew. But if you pressed play today, expecting to avoid some esoteric minutia, I'd like to think you know better than that by now. The birds in the Angry Birds franchise are angry because at the very beginning of the series, they discover their eggs have been stolen and tracks lead from their nests to the fortresses they will eventually be launched at via slingshot. I never knew that. All that was left for Rovio was to determine what kind of villain would steal these eggs and hide in these fortresses, and they chose pigs. Kind of odd, right? I mean, that's sort of the first class period of being a lizard 101. Plenty of animals invade nests and steal eggs, and omnivorous pigs aren't one of them. So why would pigs be the villain? Well, 
If you can think back to the year 2009, pigs were already a built-in villain and actually a pretty easy choice for Rovio. Dominating the airwaves that year? The swine flu epidemic. Angry Birds would neither go on to become the top-grossing game of all time nor the app with the highest number of downloads. But its virality and ubiquitousness as we entered the 2010s made one of the first real marks on the public conscience as it related to our new deal with smartphones. Finding your friends and family staring intently at their phone and watching the trajectory of a bird fly across the screen became common, as did coming across breathless articles about the new darling app, such as this one from MIT's Entrepreneurship Review titled, Angry Birds Will Be Bigger Than Mickey Mouse and Mario. Is there a success formula for apps? Put another way, the Angry Birds franchise was ushering in a way for us to understand a new way of life and business. It was one of the very first viral app-based franchises since the release of the App Store, and at its time by far the most culturally relevant and omnipresent. Enough so that it's had staying power. I mentioned that Angry Birds is not the top-grossing game of all time, that distinction goes to Clash of Clans, or the most downloaded game of all time, that belongs to Candy Crush Saga. But while you could say Angry Birds at least partially paved the way for those successes, you should also say that Angry Birds has been insanely successful itself. It's been downloaded over 3 billion times across platforms and has spun into TV series, two animated movies, toys, books, advertising, and even theme parks. Today, less than 10 years after Jaco Asalo submitted his wingless bird character design, Rovio is valued at $2.25 billion. Building platforms are coming to fruition now in a way that is at least pseudo-analogous to the smartphone revolution and launch of the App Store in 2008. All building systems designed and installed today have the opportunity to act as true building technology data platforms, and many systems that have been installed in the last decade have the ability to serve in this capacity, even if it's in a limited manner compared with what we expect to see from buildings in the years to come. We can access data from the devices in our building systems and use it to fuel apps, analytics, and services that make our buildings better, just as smartphone app developers can use the sensors and devices in our smartphones to create apps and services that make that ecosystem what we now know it to be today. I never like to speak in definitive terms about the future of a technology, but in this case I will. 70 to 85% of the most downloaded apps and services in the building space will not be video games. I could be wrong. There is definitely some gamification of systems when energy managers compare performance between buildings within a campus. And maybe we could even find fun ways to make buildings gamified and interactive for occupants. But the mass-adopted technology applications in the buildings realm will use data to provide smart, proactive, predictive services as opposed to entertainment. But from what I can tell, whether we call this automated fault detection and diagnostics, or digital twins, or intelligent services, it's clear. The nascent industry is taking hold and will be embedded in the culture of building operation for years to come. As smartphone platforms were, are, provided by Apple, Google, Microsoft, and the like, Building platforms are provided by Schneider Electric, Johnson Controls, Siemens, and the like. Games have captured the early imagination of producers and consumers in smartphones and generated opportunities for the Zingas, Rovios, Glues, Kings, and Supercells of the world. In buildings, 
The early imagination of using data in a more actionable and predictive way has brought us visionary pioneers from KGS Buildings, Building IQ, Panoptics, Predix, Building Advisor, Sky Foundry, and a litany of others competing to provide mass adoption of their services onto this new wave of embedded, smart, and connected digital data platforms. They're all data heads who see a clear and apparent opportunity to make the world better. Imagine every mobile phone in the world when the App Store launched on July 10th, 2008. Most of the globe hadn't made the switch to smartphones yet, a small percentage had, and of that small percentage, some small leading edge started downloading apps, disproportionately represented by games as we've come to now know. Now imagine every building in the world today and ask yourself where we are. The overwhelmingly vast majority of our buildings are not smart platforms. An infinitesimally small percentage are, and of that small percentage, some leading-edge customers have started pursuing intelligent services. Eventually, these services won't be avant-garde and they may not be optional. Eventually, every energy manager, facility manager, building portfolio manager, or occupant is going to want to learn from their space to anticipate what's coming next and help enable a better outcome. But will this future of all buildings serving as smart platforms, just as smartphones are today, ever become a reality? And within that reality, can we rest assured that analytics platforms will be an innate feature of that future building stock? What makes a world-class data analytic platform experience? I ask these questions of Andrew Tansky, Regional Services Manager for Schneider Electric Intelligent Services in the Northeast and Midwest United States. A longtime champion of using building data to help facility managers get to the true root of HVAC system anomalies, which we will refer to simply as data analytics throughout our conversation, I caught up with this rising leader upon his return from a week of innovation method training in France. A relatable communicator, we are thrilled to have him guide us on this important topic. Our discussion will follow in Act 2. Act two, big data isn't about bits, it's about talent, Douglas Merrill. And with that, let's dive right into our conversation with Andrew. Have we yet found that Angry Birds killer app? Is, is there a, you know, a first truly popular app? I wouldn't say there's a killer popular app. If you look at in the smart services industry, analytics is probably the first yep. killer kind of service. But I wouldn't say there's one Angry Birds that has dominated the industry as a whole. But let's, I mean, if you break down analytics services and just analytic driven services, it's really trying to change the experience within the industry and the marketplace. And from a lot of what we're seeing from whether demographics are getting set to retire, the younger generational workforce entering, and they want a different experience and bridging the gap between 35-year veterans who are getting set to either retire or move on within their careers and the younger generation who are more green within the industry, how do we educate them to operate facilities and empower them to operate facilities like a 35-year veteran? So if you want to look for killer app, it's data. And it's really data driving the experience and the day-to-day activities. And whatever platform that may be, as long as we're utilizing the data to generate an experience and to generate a day-to-day outcome and allow the buildings that are breathing and living to talk to us. I know it sounds a little hokey, but all the data that's generated is pretty much telling us, here's what's wrong with me and diagnosing it of here's how to fix me. 
And then here's the priority listing of how to get it done in the order that I feel is necessary. It also scares me. You're talking about 35 year veterans who sound to be like workforce that might be retiring soon. Yes. <laughs> is that one of the principal drivers for why this is one of the first important services? I think it's probably the primary driver. Wow. And it's an interesting dynamic because these 35 year veterans, if, and, and if you think, you know, let's step out of the box for just out of our industry. Yeah. There's a lot of the baby boomers getting set to retire. They've been with organizations for 35 years. They know how, not only in facilities, but they know how their career has developed. They've learned their job. They've had on the job training and they kind of know how everything happens within their, their realm of expertise. Yep. And as we start to transition to a younger generational workforce, it's uh, number one, way more into technology and technology driven. So the days of showing up at work and looking at a printout of here's the list of things I need to do today, the, the younger generation expects that to be delivered on their smartphone. They don't want to sit down and be driven by a piece of paper. They want to be driven by technology. So not only is there this generational thing that's about to occur with people moving on with all this experience and how do we replace that experience with more green individuals, but it's also the expectation of that new green individual is completely different. Yep. So, so how do we develop or how do we provide them information in a consumable format that they're accustomed to in order to maximize their efficiency. And I think that's a terrific point. I think that when a lot of people consider smart buildings and analytic services, they're looking at the benefit of energy efficiency and better information and being more predictive and proactive. How you've laid this up is there's a big driver that's saying we need to augment the fact that we're going to have a huge gap in talent and knowledge to help the people that are going to be working in the facilities bridge that gap on that huge amount of knowledge and resource that's leaving our industry. It kind of flips the narrative from this is a proactive, predictive, energy efficient type thing, which it still is, but also protects us from a great migration. So, and, and that's a great point. And you bring up a very important detail when you first started your, your comment around energy efficiency. Yep. The traditional mindset on data and the traditional mindset in organizations serving the in, in within our industry has been energy driven, the ROI on energy and utility. Absolutely. I think that's very narrow minded. There is a benefit to it, obviously. But when you think about the generational gap, and if I'm an owner of a facility and I have somebody who's been with my organization for 35 years, they know how the building lives and breathes. They know where, for all intents and purposes, the skeletons are buried. Um, and, and as they as they migrate as they as they migrate into their next chapter of life, with this individual who's walking in the door with one, two, three years of experience, how do we one train them? Two, how do we get them up to speed to act like a thirty-five year veteran? Because an important thing not mentioned is we have these greener individuals, but our operational budgets are not increasing. So I need to bring this person up to speed to act like a thirty-five year veteran as quickly as possible. And the only way to really do that is to provide them data and priorities so that we empower them with information to act like that 35-year veteran. And there's a great piece of data that's out there when you talk about automation systems and especially building automation systems, that 80% of the data that is generated by the systems in our facilities goes unutilized. Why not take that 80%, analyze it, and feed it back to these individuals so that they have a full picture of their facility, they have a full picture of how their facility is operating, and empower them with to utilize the data so they start acting like a 35-year veteran. 
so that if I'm now an owner, I have someone who is greener and I get that, but they're providing just as valuable of a service as individuals who maybe have moved on within the organization or moved on to their second chapter of life. Man, that's really interesting. Your answer to this question, you know, is there an Angry Birds? I think the way that you answer that is completely correct. There's, I think, a suite of services that are the first ones being widely embraced, which are analytic data services. And I've always thought that it made a lot of sense for them to be the first movers because essentially they do what we've always done, looked at things like efficiency and serviceability and made it super powered and better. Really, your point is so well-spoken and well-taken that there's another benefit here, which is we need to protect ourselves from the future that's, that's headed here. And these are a great way to make that happen. So that's a wonderful way to start. Thanks for that. And if, and, and, and if you think about your Angry Birds reference, it is an app, but it was one of the first apps that drove individuals to think of their smartphones as more than just smartphones. Yeah. It wasn't just now I have my email, my phone, my text messaging, my calendar, and, and, and weather forecasting all and you know GPS maps all on one device. Now is this device is also an entertainment device. And it wasn't necessarily the app, it was driving an experience that was different. So if you relate that into our industry, maybe the app is not necessarily an app, it's more what experience are we creating that is different than the way we've experienced our facilities in the past? Yes. Angry Birds was also popular in part with simple, easy to use, fun, somewhat addictive kind of gaming characteristics. What will the characteristics be of the most popular apps for buildings that are going to make people want to continue to use them and, and go back for more? When you look at facilities and the experience and what the data can drive, obviously data is very important. It can reveal a lot of information about your facility. But I think the kind of hidden gem within all of the data is the ability to prioritize the data so that now if you think about the way we go to work, when we go to work, we want to have a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day that we felt we've accomplished something. And if we can start to analyze data and present it in a prioritized metrics, you start to understand the impact that you as an individual have to the organization. Am I making an impact on the energy portfolio? Am I making an impact on the comfort of the people who I who cohabitate the facility with me? Am I making an impact on my own maintenance driving the facility? And what is the ROI to the organization? I think that starts to have a, a differentiated experience. Yeah. I heard a great story told the other day by Alexis Hart within our organization is if you compare a building to a human body, you know your human body and you live with it. I live with mine for 38 years, right? And if somebody was to come up to me and say, hey, I want to help manage your body, I would want them to have data about the way my body acts. What's my medical history? What's what are my my personal feelings? What are my likes, my emotions, things like that? And it's something also that if we relate that to buildings, we want to empower individuals with data to make better choices, whether we move from more preventative or reactive services to more condition based to how the facility is actually operating just and performing just similar to our bodies and the decisions that are being made based upon data, not well, here's a piece of paper that for the last 30 years, we've done it this way. There's a great quote by a, um, a Navy rear admiral that says the worst phrase in the English language is that's the way we've always done it. And I think to your point with Alexis there, I'm imagining that the listeners were thinking, yeah, there you go. Fitbit, Apple Health. Yeah. And, and the Fitbit's a great example is, you know, when you think about it is we know when we need to stand up or we're tired or we know when we need to maybe um, go for a, a walk. 
but we need to be reminded every now and then because of the way we're immersing ourselves into our environment, whether work, pleasure, or anything like that. But now we have technology that drives, hey, get up and take a five-minute walk. It's, it's So it's also our facilities need to have the kind of same experience or the same kind of, you know, if you think about analytics, I know you had to operate your facility, but here, go look at this, and here's the impact it'll have on facility as a whole. So when I think about the kind of the characteristics, it's the ability to drive more proactive behavior and relating it to tangible results in your outcome-driven results that you have within your daily workday. It's taking us from a reality of the only data check-in we had for our personal health was stepping on the scale every now and then, and then feeding us tons of data that we can look at and, and see how, how the performance has changed over time. That's great. Exactly. I think one of the really great things about where you sit in the organization is, you know, you're on the forefront of that first widely adopted use case of building analytic services for service and energy efficiency and what have you. I think once our customers start getting that experience of those early wins, that early tangible benefit from the things that they've done through that prioritization that you mentioned, I believe it will open up appetite for trying to use data in all sorts of different ways. I'd like to say that hopefully you recognize that the stuff that you're working on will probably pave the way for, for customers' mindsets on that front. I I couldn't agree more. And, it, and if you take it a step further with the newer technology from hot desking and wayfinding and people counting, we're thinking of it in terms of, all right, I can book my desk at this facility. I know where my colleagues are in the within the building itself. I know I have a map of the facility, so now I'm not getting lost. But there's another untapped thing to start thinking about from additional revenue streams from a client perspective. And if you start to think about if we have the ability to know where people are within the facility at a given time frame or at 8 o'clock in the morning, I might be able to sell a piece of my real estate to a coffee provider. It's an additional source of revenue that now my business case to that coffee provider is backed up on actual hard data of Here's where everybody is at eight o'clock in the morning. Here's how they flow within the facility. And it's an additional revenue stream that is completely outside of what the original intent and use case was for. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I love that one. Um, one of the drivers in the app world is, is FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, you see your friend has an app. That's why you try it out. If you're responsible for running a building, what are the apps that your colleagues at other buildings may have that you might not have yet? Or put another way, with building analytic services, regardless of which ones they are, how widely adopted do you think that is at this point? So it's it's interesting. The early adopters were few and far between in the analytically driven world. And it's something that we as an organization, we as service providers, had to bring the story to them. And I have seen a kind of a shift within the industry of now end users and clients coming to organizations and saying, what is your analytical solution? So I have really seen where we had to push the, the marketplace originally, I want to say as closely as three years ago. It's now us being pulled by the industry and the marketplace of what is your analytically driven solution? How does it benefit me? And how does it differ from the other platforms that I have viewed or read about? So I think it's an interesting that's happening. And I think a lot of this is driven by the way, I'm going to go back to experience, the way we experience data in our personal life and the experiences that that data generates. I mean, if you think about Uber, one of the number one drivers with Uber when people get surveyed is I like the fact to know where my driver is on, on his way to pick me up. 
And all that is is additional data that's different the way we experienced it in years past. Moving towards that occupant experience also obviously chimes in well with what you've said about experience thus far, but also I think lends some credence to what you were saying about just looking at energy efficiency is a little bit myopic. There's so much more that you can harness through, through data. If I'm a customer right now and I'm considering, okay, I want to get into data analytics, Andrew, you've sold me. I'm, I'm late on this thing. What are the type of things they need to consider? So I'm going to talk very third-party and user-driven. One, who owns the data? Two, is it a cloud-based or premise-based system? I am preferential to cloud-based because I feel there is way more horsepower within the cloud to help drive additional feature sets as we move down this path, this analytical journey. And then the other big, when you get into the competitive landscape, is how is it delivered to me? So when we get into the competitive landscape, there's kind of two ways to look at it. Is a rules-based engine or a managed services-based engine. Rules-based is the algorithms and analytics is written locally by a service provider, integrator, or even the end user. And a managed services is a library of algorithms that have been refined over time by the information. So it's not true machine learning or it's not artificial intelligence, but in this industry, it's the closest we got because we're utilizing all of this data we've captured to refine and perform and produce better kind of analysis. So if I'm an end user looking at this, number one, I'm looking at my internal structure. Do I have the personnel who's going to adopt this and utilize it? And then number two, when I'm looking at it from a provider or the competitive landscape, is it rules-based or managed services? Am I going to be reliant on a service provider to understand my facility? Or am I gonna go the mindset of, the closest thing we have to machine learning where we have a library of algorithms that can produce the best analysis based upon years of continuous refinement. Another thing a building owner or manager is going to be asking about are, are things like ROI. Admittedly, with Angry Birds, the ROI of playing that game is pretty small. But with this, you've got an opportunity to, to really make an investment that matters. So what kind of ROI could a building manager expect from analytic services? So I, I will tell you, and it goes back to our original conversation that this industry as a whole has been all about utility ROI. And they feel as an industry and an analytical industry that the only way we can sell this is showing an ROI and utility savings. We need to expand our view of ROI. And one of the things I related to is if we have data and it allows us to deliver a more efficient workforce in managing these facilities. If I still have the same eight hour day and I can complete nine hours worth of tasks, that's an extra hour a day of tasks that I'm accomplishing by utilizing data. That's 250 additional hours per year. And if I'm an owner, I can relate that to whatever my labor rate might be. And maybe it turns into, I still have a workforce of four people but they're operating like five because they're accomplishing additional tasks by utilizing technology differently. So there's an ROI component there of maximizing your workforce potential in the same bucket that we currently have. More productive employees have an actual ROI factor to facilities, to owners, to tenants. So we need to kind of stop thinking about ROI just from a utility savings and think about it more how do we impact our people? I also think of that in terms of it's now a recruiting tool or you know a retention tool, um, yep. which, is, which is hard to quantify, but certainly very, very important. And, and I also think so. So let's think about recruiting for a second because you bring up a very valid point. 
with this younger generation in the workforce, they're way more connected via social media, whether it be the traditional social media or your professional social media like LinkedIn. And I think when they are operating with a high level of technology, because I mean, let's face it, uh, and I think you said it very well, is there's three requirements for the younger generation, uh, electricity, running water and high speed internet. So they are, when they experience technology in their work environments, they publicize that in their social media networks. You know, they publicize that in their network. And then that individual is either bringing that information to their organization and saying, why don't I have this experience? And if that particular customer says, well, we're not going down that realm, it becomes a recruiting tool to bring new talent into your organization because you have that technological experience that people are wanting when they're entering the workforce today. If you you looked forward... 10 years, just like we're looking backwards at, you know, Angry Birds and Rovio now. Who is the breakout star? What's the breakout service? Are analytic platforms and packages something that every building owner and manager is aware of and has? Where do you think we'll be at that point? So I think 10 years from now, you're going to see a drive to have data analytics and building analytics drive your decision making and to be actionable intelligence, not just where can I reveal energy efficiency projects within my facility? What we're going to see is when you show up to your day job and it's eight o'clock in the morning, you're going to allow data to drive what you do for the day. It isn't, I don't have a to-do list. I don't have a calendar set up. It's here are the anomalies found within my facility. Here's the impact to energy comfort maintenance. And I'm going to go take care of the top 10 things on that list because they have a high impact to the facility itself. So I think you're going to see more data-driven decision-making, which I think we do it in pockets today, and we're seeing a shift within the industry in pockets, but you're going to see more of that mindset shift from its utility ROI and its energy efficiency, and that's the only thing it's good for, to how do we start making prioritized decision-making on the data that's readily available to us. A word that's come up so often in this discussion today is prioritization. Yes. I think that you feel that you've got a grasp on the fact that you can affect that with what you're doing. Is that why you're excited to be in this industry? I'm excited to be in this industry and, and to talk about prioritization because I relate it to me personally. When I show up for work, at the end of my eight-hour, 10-hour, whatever it might be day, I want to have some fulfillment. I want to know what I did actually impacted something. And if we're related to this industry, the way that we typically service this industry is we have a set list of tasks we're going to do today. It's it's Tuesday, and I'm going to go check these pieces of equipment. They're probably running completely flawlessly, or they might have one or two anomalies to them. But this is Tuesday, and that's what we do. Yeah. And at the end of the day, are you fulfilled with that? Is that what you want to be working on? So when I talk about prioritization, allowing the data that's generated to prioritize your workday you can start to see tangible results on what did I accomplish today? So now when I go home at the end of the day, I feel like I accomplished something and I can directly relate it to what my accomplishments are. Data analytics are bringing measurable meaning to work. Yes. That's great. Hey man, you did a great job. Thanks so much for joining today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having me. And if we ever need to do this again, let me know. This is fun. The digital world will offer opportunities for us to go as deep as we want into the mastery of our building domain.
and many in the industry will emphatically choose to do so at once. But it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, and as we all enter the truly digital age of buildings with different levels of familiarity and interest, it simply can't be. At first, the high-end options will only work for those who are already masters or have reason to become them, but others will be rightly intimidated by price and inexperience. Only with time and exposure will their tastes evolve through different levels of familiarity until comfort and confidence is reached, hopefully, but not necessarily at the highest levels of what the field has to offer. As buildings professionals, we need to understand this. We need to put ourselves in our customers' shoes and gain empathy for that situation. We need to find a setting where hardly anyone is comfortable and where they're always overwhelmed and intimidated among a plethora of unfamiliar options. We need to generate that fellow feeling. We need to go pick out a wine. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast, and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake. Didn't get really too deep into it, um, even though I do have a T-shirt from back in the day. Oh, you've got a you've got a retro Angry Birds T-shirt. I should definitely do. That's cool.